last Sunday we began a new series entitled Elijah, a man of courageous devotion. Last week we were introduced to several figures in this series uh, as we began to be familiar with a man named King Ahab, the king of Israel, who was a bad, bad dude, right? That's what we learned last week. And he did worse. He married Jezebel, who even her name is now synonymous with evil, right? Oh, you just mentioned the name Jezebel. Doesn't even feel right to say it, does it? Jezebel, that's evil, right? So he marries Queen Jezebel, and she introduced her religion to Israel, and she brought with her the worship of Baal. Baal was the god of fertility and agriculture and the god that supposedly in their religion ruled the sun and the moon, the stars and the weather and rain and sun, all of that. Uh, They devoted themselves to the worship of Baal. So we were introduced uh, last week to uh, this prophet Elijah, actually from a scripture in the New Testament where we read from James chapter 5 about this man of effective and powerful prayer life and that he was able to actually pray and ask for uh, the rain to stop for three and a half years. Today's message, as I'll just continue to kind of give you a little bit of backdrop because I know a number of you were not here last Sunday, but today's message is subtitled, A Boot Camp for God's Servant. So last week was, we studied about a man on a mission. We looked at, we got familiar with him, we got familiar, Elijah, we got familiar with uh, Ahab and Jezebel and the context and the time. And today we're going to talk about the next phase in his life, which I've entitled a boot camp for God's servant. Now, how many of you have been to boot camp before? All right, I know we have men who served in the military. How many of you would just agree with me? Now, I did not, I did not serve in the military, so I never went to boot camp. But how many of you would, I think I'm safe to say that boot camp was not easy. Would y'all concur with that? All right, some of you did great in boot camp, I'm sure, all right? But boot camp is designed by its very nature to take you down a notch or two. Am I right? It's designed to teach you some things, to instruct you some things. If you come in with an attitude You'll probably get knocked out of you by the time you're through with boot camp, right? If you come in with any sense of immature entitlement, by the time you're through with boot camp, you're like, "Uh uh-huh, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, right? That's the idea of boot camp. What you may not know is that even God's servants have boot camps. And we're going to learn today from the story here in 1 Kings chapter 17 about this particular story. In 1 Kings chapter 17, we meet Elijah. Literally, he's thrown into the middle of the scene. We have Ahab, King Ahab, we Queen Jezebel, and all the evil that's been going around them because now they have led the Israelites into Baal worship. Up to this point, they knew about Baal, but only as a god of the pagans. Now, with the influence of this king and queen, the Israelites have begun to worship and bow down to Baal as their God. Elijah, whose name meant, my God is Jehovah. That's a statement in and of itself, right? My God is Jehovah. My God is the Lord. He arrives on the scene. It's almost like he just drops out of the sky. The scripture actually tells us he was from an unknown place called Tishba, but we do know that it was in Gilead, which is up in the northeastern corner of Israel. Very dry, rugged area, and the same with Elijah, a a very rugged man. I call him the John the Baptist of the Old Testament, all right? And so here we read in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, now Elijah the Tishbite, 
from Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, you like that clarification, right? Whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except when I say so. Wow. He drops into the scene with that kind of an announcement. He didn't go through protocol. He didn't go through the assistant to get an appointment. He had absolutely not an ounce of political correctness in his body. He simply arrived and right got into Ahab's face and he said, I'm Elijah and I'm here as a servant of the Lord and this is what's going to happen. He made a prophetic announcement, a declaration of divine judgment upon the land of Israel. Basically what he was saying is, you've gone too far. You've sinned too much. You are too far down the road and now God is going to bring things right again. And this was his prophetic announcement. There's not going to be any more rain until I say so. Think about that. No rain, not even dew on the grass, James. Not even dew. No moisture. He prophesied no moisture in this land, which is, by the way, a land highly dependent upon rain and moisture, being a dry, arid area geographically. Anyway, it was very dependent upon that. So what he was basically saying is, God's cutting you off. It would be like saying to America, there's not going to be any more trade. There's not going to be any more commerce. There's not going to be any other flow of financial, economic blessing on this country until I say so. It's cut off. You're on your own. That's what this prophetic announcement was all about. So after this dire, life-threatening declaration, we now want to pick up and look at the next phase of his life. And by the way, I thought I would just show you a few archaeological findings of the, resembling the idol of Baal that they worshipped. Uh, so for whatever it's worth, it's not very appealing to me. But anyway, that's who they, uh, they worshipped, all right? So what we want to do is jump now, starting into verse 3 here in 1 Kings chapter 17. We want to read about two things that took place. There are two boot camp locations. We're going to take them one at a time. The first one is at Cherith, and the next one is at Zarephath, all right? So I'm beginning to read here in verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Cherith Ravine, east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him, and he went to Cherith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. That's important. So in other words, when he went to this location, he was there for quite some time. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, there's a, quite a number of things that we can learn from this story. The first thing I would point out is the swift obedience of the prophet to what the Lord spoke to him to do. Remember, he, remember just what's happened. He just got through standing up in front of King Ahab. I'm sure it was spread all over the evening news, and he made a prophetic announcement. And I don't know, if you have the gift, you know, and, and, and you're, you, you have something from God, and you are a prophet, prophets like to preach and talk and prophesy. 
Okay, that's what they do. And if I were one like that, I would think I wouldn't want to just leave quickly. I'd want to hang around and, you know, go and just say, did y'all hear what I said this morning? I, y'all, did, you, did you make note of that? I just want to make sure everybody knows what I've been saying. This is what the Lord's going to do. But God immediately, when he got through just speaking that pronouncement, God said, now get out of here. It was basically a message to leave and leave quickly. Actually, the reason was because God wanted to protect him. He was now a wanted man. There actually was a contract out on Elijah's life from the time that he made that prophetic announcement. So I think that's a bit of a surprising directive that God would do that, but I think it had great reason he wanted to take care of his man. So immediately he says, you need to leave, and notice what he said, go and hide yourself. The word there means to conceal. Go and hide yourself. In other words, I've got a place over here that they're not going to find you at, and it's a good place. I've already prepared it. I know exactly where I'm sending you. And by the way, there's going to there's be food there, and there's going to be water there. It's called the Brook of Sharif. Go and stay there. And we notice that immediately, very impressive, the swift obedience of the prophet. He didn't ask any questions. He didn't. Ra- How many of y'all know sometimes God tells you something and you rationalize? He said, well, now if I did that, this would happen and that. And you kind of work through it in your mind. Don't we oftentimes do that instead of quick obedience? We rationalize it or we procrastinate. So, well, I've got to go back up to, to uh, Gilead. Got to do some work back at home. And I was in the middle of a project before the Lord called me and sent me down here. I, I need to go take I, the kids. I got to make sure they're in school. I got to take care of some stuff. God didn't give him any of those privileges. He simply said, now go right now and you need to go over here to the brook at Sharif. Very impressive. By the way, the word Sharif, Kareth, however you want to pronounce it, means to cut down or to cut back. Or it could mean to break. Now, I don't know about you, but that immediately doesn't sound too inviting to me. It's not like the Lord said, I've got this retreat center for you. It's class, man. It's five-star. You're going to love it, and it's great. This is going to be a wonderful, chill experience for you over the next few years. Instead, he said, I'm going to send you to a place to break you and to cut you down. Hmm. To add to that, did you notice uh, he told him two things, which we'll dive into here. He said, I've got a brook there. And then he also said, and by the way, I've got ravens there, which we'll talk about the ravens in a moment. So he tells him about the water supply that's going to be there, and he tells him about the food supply. And neither one of them are peeling. Do you know why? Because the brook, he's thinking, I mean, two plus two. He's thinking, wait a minute, I did not just prophesy there's not going to be more rain. There were no brooks. This brook was literally a ravine. It's simply a place, a canal, a place where it results from rain in the mountain. And when there was no rain in the mountain, the brooks were dry. So when there was a lot of abundance of rain in the mountain, then the brooks were flowing and plenty of water in the brook then. So that wouldn't be too encouraging to me either. But nonetheless, the prophet obeyed, didn't he? I think it's helpful to remember two reasons why God sends him to this particular boot camp. Number one, he sends him to this boot camp for protection. And secondly, for preparation. Boot camps are all about learning lessons. Amen? Amen. Boot camps are about developing discipline, right? Boot camps are about cutting us down to size and breaking us so that we can be used in whatever our mission and assignment is. And that's exactly what God was doing with Elijah. He was putting him into a boot camp. 
Actually, he's got two of them. We'll look at each of them today. So he's putting him into boot camp experiences. And the lesson, the primary lesson in this first boot camp at Sharif is to learn that God is a provider. To learn that God provides for us. Now, let's look at it a little bit deeper. The first thing he did is he said, there's a brook there. When he arrived, the scripture said he went, and sure enough, he was able to drink this wonderful, fresh uh, water supply, tasty water from the brook, and it kept flowing with water. This, I'm convinced, was not just a um, uh, some little spot that God knew about that nobody else knew about it. I'm convinced that this was supernatural. That there was no natural reason why the water would flow at this brook for as long as it did. But the water was there, and he enjoyed it. And it was a regular, continuous supply, and it met his physical need. In addition, uh, we know that at the end, in verse 7, we're told that, by the way, at some point here, uh, after a certain number of years went by, guess what? The Bible says the brook dried up. How many of you have ever had a brook dry up? A brook is a place of provision, a place of supply. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a contract. Maybe it's a client. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a church, whatever. But there are times in life where it just seems as though our brooks dry up. And when the brook dries up, what does it make you do? You've known all along that God was the one behind, hopefully you're reminded that God's the one that made this supply for you. The brook isn't the supply. The brook is not the, it is the provision, but it is not the provider. In other words, the brook was simply the means of provision that God was using. God himself is the provider. Amen. And he can use any brook he chooses to use. So he, he had him sitting by this brook having a great time. And then all of a sudden, one day he was drinking water out of the brook. And the next day when he said, you know, it looks like there's less water coming out of there. It looks like, I don't know, it looks like this, it's uh, decreasing. Something's going on. Then the next day he goes out. Can you imagine? He sees just a little drip coming down. And he's saying, uh-oh, we got trouble. Trouble in Charith. And then next thing you know, all the water ceased to flow. And it was just, I could just see him picking up sand and saying, what am I going to do now? In life, there's always a time where your brook dries up. Good news is it's all about our preparation. It's all about God's training for you and for me. See, God doesn't just train his prophets. He's all about training all of his people. Amen. And he's got a place a provision. Did he provide for him their truth? Absolutely. Provided water, even that he didn't know about. We know that God always did supernatural things with water. We know that in the children of Israel were walking through the wilderness. I mean, think about that rock that they hit. Water's coming out of the rock. And then the rock moved around and followed them everywhere they went in the wilderness. Is that supernatural or what? God is a provider. Someone say amen. God is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God of our supply, and we need to trust him knowing that he can and will supply our needs. But don't be surprised when your brook might dry up. When the brook dries up, what do you need to do? You need to find, go back, and get some new direction. What I say is when your brook dries up, you need to say, what's next, God? Because God didn't change. He didn't stop being Jehovah Jireh. It's just the means for your supply may be changing. How many of you have been through one of those moments? 
Hmm? You know what I'm talking about? Now, not only did he take care of the water supply, he also took care of his food supply. Now, this is intriguing and fascinating to me. Maybe not to you, but let me point out a couple of things. The fact that he said, go over here to this place, and he said, I've got water there from a brook, but I've also got ravens. They're going to come and take care of you. They're going to come and bring you food. Immediately, let me tell you what was going on in his mind. You see, ravens were unclean animals. They were on the list of unclean fowl. In other words, from a Jewish practice, you weren't to have anything to do with ravens. And you wanted to keep distance between you and a raven. It's also intriguing to me because ravens don't like people. You study a little bit about these ravens, and they would prefer just to stay away from people altogether. And yet God is saying, and what he did is actually the raven was the delivery system for food. It was the raven catering service. Every morning, every evening, ravens flew in. Can you picture them? Ravens flying in. Food service, bread, meat. See you tonight. Came back tonight. Fresh bread, fresh meat. Have you ever wondered, where did that bread come from? Everybody is starving in the land. They're in a time of drought. Nobody else is enjoying bread and meat. So where did it come from? It's, it's a but God thing. Only God knows. God produced it for them, right? And so here we have raven delivery. But the ravens were not approved. They were unclean. They don't like humans. So for God to even, God has command even over the ravens. He's got command over birds and animals. If need be, he can speak through them. All right? So he commanded those ravens to deliver that food. And Elijah's the beneficiary. Not only that, add to that, ravens, you got to understand what kind of bird that is. That's today, in today's vernacular, they would be a vulture. Vultures are what? Scavengers. They feed on one thing. Dead, stinky roadkill. I grew up as a good country boy in Texas, and I knew one thing. I was taught, watch where the... Watch where those vultures are, and you know that something has died over there. You get close enough, and you'll start smelling it. That's what a raven was. Ravens were scavengers. All they dealt with was roadkill. And yet God appointed a raven? Why couldn't he have appointed an eagle? Royal, robust, clean, mighty to sweep in and deliver. But no, God said, I'm going to let ravens feed you. Man, God's ways are weird. Raven feeding me? I got—I don't touch stuff. Unclean bird always deals with unclean stuff. And now they're the delivery system for providing fresh meat and fresh bread twice a day. The Bible tells us that all the time that Elijah was there at Cherith, ravens came, made delivery. And then all of a sudden one day, They must have forgotten. Normally, they're here by 8. <laughs> Normally. I, I might give them a call just to make sure they didn't forget the schedule. Wait till the evening. I'm sure they'll be here tonight. No delivery. By this point, Elijah's waking up to the fact there's change in the air. 
Something's changing. God was trying to teach his servant a lesson. What was the lesson? I'm your provider. I can do it no matter what the circumstances. And he chose two sources, if you will, two means, neither one of them that made sense to the mind. A brook that was providing regular water, even though they're in the period of doubt, dr- doubt, drought, and raven, a raven of all things, delivering fresh bread and meat every day. Both of those are counterintuitive. Isn't they just like God? He's trying to make a point, isn't he? He's trying to train and teach his prophet. You can trust me to be your provider. What are some lessons that we can glean from this particular boot camp for you and for me? By the way, that's an Italian painting from the 16th century where we see Elijah and someone's rendition of ravens in the book. Onward. What are some lessons that we can glean from this particular boot camp? Let me offer to you five very quickly. Number one, we must be willing to be set aside. Now, you're not going to like this one. The prophet had just arrived on the scene. Ta-da! Now my ministry has been birthed. Everyone's going to know about me. I made this prophetic declaration. Wow, I'm God's new prophet for the moment, for the nation. And immediately after you deliver the word from God, God says, I'm going to go hide you. Now, wait a minute. I thought I was going to have, you know, a, a, a following and I was going to have, you know, a, I was going to become a, a part of the conference circuit preachers, you know, where I get to go from place to place proclaiming God's word. Everybody wants to invite the prophet to come and see them. I'm ready to enjoy the afterglow. And instead of that, God uses him one time and he says, that's it. That's enough. We're going to put you over here. We're going to hide you for a while. No one wants to be hid or set aside. But you know what my experience is in the life of particularly gifted people and called people is there's always a season where God puts you on the shelf. Never fun. Because when you want to play, you don't want to be sitting on the bench. You want to get on the field. When you've got gifts to play ball, what am I doing sitting on the bench? Why would coach have me on the bench? There's always a time that God will put you on the bench. And set you aside. Why? Boot camp. Number two. Solitude and silence are beneficial spiritual disciplines. Solitude. That's what he was having. He was in a place. Nobody else. This, there was no group gathering around him. There was no fellowship of social life for this uh, prophet at this time. It was what? It was me and God. His family was separated. Just the prophet and God. Solitude. Plenty of silence. You know one of the hardest things to find in life today? In our day? Is solitude. There's not many cherubs available. Every place has got Wi-Fi signal. There's noise, banging, dinging, beeping, buzzing everywhere you go. You can hardly escape it, James. It's all over the place. Finding solitude. Did you know that, by the way, solitude is one of the basic Christian disciplines? 
spiritual disciplines for Christian development, solitude is one of the primary fundamental spiritual disciplines. It's the one you never hear people talk about today. No one ever. They'll say, well, we need to have prayer life. Oh, yeah, we need to study the Bible. When do you hear people saying, we need to find solitude? Except parents, when they are about this time of the summer, they're like, God, please start school quickly. So find some solitude again. Solitude and silence are the times that you can really get in tune with God. Allow God to recalibrate you. Did you know that one of the first signs of burnout? I like people always talk about preachers and pastors having burnout. Anybody can have burnout. Burnout in a lot of different ways. Did you know one of the first signs of burnout is when you stop having special moments of silence, solitude, and reflection time? Reflection time is where the creative flow of God comes to us. So if you're too busy, you're not going to be very creative. If you're too busy, you're not going to be hearing from God until you run into a brick wall. So silence and solitude, something to think about. Number three, God's directions, his guidance always requires what? Obedience. He says, turn here, go east. I love how specific God is. He's specific when it comes to guidance and direction. You don't have to worry about, well, I don't know. No, God will tell you exactly where to go, where to turn. Turn eastward, go to this address. Ananias in the book of Acts told him exactly the street to go to, to minister to Saul. But when God gives direction, we have to obey. That's the only way this thing works. Think how this whole story would have changed if Elijah hadn't obeyed God's direction. He would have probably been put in jail, captured and put in jail. Obedience is the key. And obedience is possible. It just depends on you and on me. Number four, God's direction includes his provision. God's direction includes his provision. Another way to say that is, where God guides, God provides. I always get a kick out of people saying, well, God told me to go do this, but then there's never the financial ability to do it. Then God probably didn't tell you to go do that. Because if God told you to do that, he'd make sure that the provision was available for you to do it. Because God's nature is as a provider. And if he's guiding you, he will provide. If he's guiding you to show up here and you need this to do that, just mark it down. God will provide. I think it's a good way to determine whether God's in something. It's a good way to determine. Say, well, I'm really trusting God. I think he's told me to go this way. I've got to go to school and got to do this, but I don't have the tuition to pay. Well, why don't you wait and see if God provides? And by the way, God's provision is not always federal student loans. My point is, there's always a provision. When God guides, he provides. Sorry, I was venting when I was talking about federal student loans. I just don't understand when a student goes to seminary and comes out with a debt of $125,000 and they think that they're called by God to go serve on the mission field. How does that work? 
Sorry, I was on a rabbit trail there. Number five, change and transition are normal, but challenging. What's really happening here is when the brook dried up and the raven stopped flying in for delivery, God was saying what? Change is in the air. It's time to transition. One of the most common things I hear from people today when I talk to them, I say, well, tell me what God's doing in your life. What's happening? And one of the most common words that people use is, well, I, Bobby, I'm in transition. I'm thinking, man, that's the 28th time I've heard someone say, I'm in transition this week. Listen, folks, we always are in transition. We always are transitioning from one thing to the next, one less to the next, something to something. There's always transition going on. But there are moments when the supply dries up and it's a major change. And we're like, uh-oh, something's about to change. Why? Because it's got to change because I'm going to die if I don't have any food and water, yeah. right? Yeah. So when you're at that point, you know this is a moment of change and transition. You know what the problem is? We don't like to change. We get very comfortable and just convenient and comfortable with the same provision. We get the check from the same place, comes in every other week or every week or every month. We know we got that check. We know we got this. And now all of a sudden, then this money is going to my retirement account. Everything's just great. What happens all of a sudden? You get laid off and you're like, <laughs> cheer up. Just means there's change coming. Change and transition are normal to life. As a Christian, if you're going to mature, grow up, you have to change. It's a part of our growth experience. This is a part of boot camp. Can't stay in boot camp forever. All right? There's going to be change. But change and transition seasons can be some of the most challenging seasons that you have. Are y'all with me? All right. Y'all ready to go to the next boot camp? So we have the boot camp at Cherith. Let's look at the next one. Zarephath. I'm going to start reading um, here in verse 7. I'll read through the end of our text. Sometime later, so, you know, we don't know exactly how long. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Do you see how immediately, we don't know if there was a delay period. We just know God's so good about redirecting. He said, then the word of the Lord came to him and said, what? Go at once. No delays. No lollygagging around. Go immediately to Zarephath of Sidon. That's over in Phoenicia, another country, a foreign land. And stay there. Once again, the first time he told him, go and hide. This time he says, go and stay there. I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and he asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? I guess so. He's already been thirsty since the brook dried up. Right? So this isn't a real surprise. So, <laughs> I'm parched. Please, could you just give me a little water? And... Uh, as she was going to get the water, he added, oh, and by the way, bring me a little piece of bread. In southern language, bring me a biscuit, all right? 
As surely as the Lord, she replies, as surely as the Lord, notice this, underline this, your Bible, as surely as the Lord, your God. She didn't say my God. She was a foreigner. She's a Gentile. But she knew where he was from and knew who he served. She said, as surely as the Lord, your God lives, I don't have any bread. I don't have any more biscuits. All I have is a handful of flour in a jar, have a little oil in a jug. I'm right now, I'm just gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son, and then that we're going to eat it and die. This is not good. Elijah said to her, well, don't be afraid. Now he's speaking from the voice of God. Don't be afraid. Go home. Do as you have said, but first make us first underline that but first make a small biscuit <laughs> for me from what you have bring it to me and then you can go and make something for yourself and your son he adds for this is the word of the lord this is now what the lord is saying to you the jar of flour is not going to be used up the jug of oil is not going to run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Wow, what a prophecy. She went away and she did as Elijah told her so that there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Wow. Pretty incredible story, isn't it? Tells him to go immediately to Zarephath. By the way, once again, it's like in his head. I'm sure these tapes are going on because the word Zarephath meant to melt or smelt. In noun form, the word would mean a crucible. Cheer up, Elijah. You just got through being cut down to size. Now I'm taking you to crucible. Boot camp part two. We're going to melt you down a little bit here. Go to Zarephath. And I like the fact in, in, the, in the word of direction, the Lord said, go quickly. Why do you think the Lord said that about go quickly? Because he's in danger. There's a contract out on his life. Now he's been hiding up there at the brook, probably in a cave. Now the Lord said he's to get from there to Phoenicia. He has a lot of exposure. So now he has to walk all the way, many days journey, and he's out in the open. People can see him. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, you're the prophet, the prophet. And we're dying now because of you. We're going to kill you. So he said, God said, what? Get on the road. Go quickly. And I love his obedience once again. Now, what happened at Zarephath? God says to him, when you get to Zarephath, I have already directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, that might make you think, we don't know what's really going on here. We don't know that God spoke to her and said, I'm sending Elijah and you are to Or whether God is simply influencing her heart. My tendency is to believe that God is, is, the Holy Spirit is working upon her to give her a predisposition of favor towards him. So when she sees Elijah, by the way, how did he know that she was the woman? All it says is when he showed up, he saw a woman out there gathering sticks. Because he was listening. Holy Spirit said, that's her. 
That's the widow. Because God had already said what? I've already got a, I've got a widow there to take care of you. By the way, there's no encouragement in that. When it's kind of like, what? I thought you could have said, I have a room reserved for you at the Ritz-Carlton. And all you got to do is go check in. It's under your name, Elijah. Just check in. There was no amenities. This isn't five-star treatment. Friend, this is boot camp. He said, I have a widow. He could have added, who has nothing. Who's absolutely dirt poor. I've got a widow there. Is she going to take care of you? Yeah, right. The lesson once again to him in this part of boot camp was that God's a God of power and God's a God of provision. These are lessons that God's going to make sure he learns. Why? Because he's going to need every lesson when he comes face to face with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. He's in training. He walks up to the outside of the city. He sees a little woman out here picking up just bare, picking up a few little sticks. Now, the problem is we, we, we have to get it straight in our mind what this picture really looked like. All of us have seen all over television commercials and, and you know, uh, National Geographic magazine pictures and stuff. We've all seen pictures of starvation and poverty in certain parts of the world. You'll see a, a mother who looks like she could barely hold anything, and she's holding a child that's just skin and bones hanging off of. You know what I'm talking about? Who's so malnourished, ready to die any day. That's what's going on here. He walks up and sees this dusty, desolate place, and there's a woman there probably barely has the strength to pick up sticks. She's picking up meager sticks, just enough to make a fire. She's got a son that can barely, barely live, breathe due to starvation. Starvation's not pretty. Elijah's face to face with it. Now that makes the story all the more interesting when you know what he said to her, right? So Elijah sees her and he says what? Uh, could you give me a drink of water? Go give me some water. She did it. Maybe it was the culture. Maybe the Holy Spirit was already moving on her. She went and got the water. As she's going to get the water, he said, oh, by the way, in addition to that water you're bringing me, because I'm real thirsty from, you know, my past experience here. By the way, would you make sure you, you know, make me a little biscuit, bring it to me. She turns around and says, as surely as the Lord, your God, lives. If you, if you believe in your God, let me just tell you what's going on. In other words, I'm telling you the truth. This is the truth. What I'm telling you is the truth. I have just, what I'm doing right now, I have just enough flour at home, just enough oil to make a little piece of bread for my son and I. We're going to eat it, and then we're dying. She wasn't, this wasn't discouragement speaking. This is reality. Okay. And what does he say to her? When she gives him that excuse, what does he say? Oh, honey, I understand. You just go ahead and take care of your son. Y'all go. No. He said, well, I'll tell you what, here's what we're going to do. You go, you use the flour and the oil that you got, but first, but first make me a biscuit. 
Now, this is where you have to step back and go, the audacity of that prophet? Who does he think he is? Listen, this comment was not out of self, motivated out of self-importance. This comment is not like my needs more important than you. This was a man of God that God is speaking through in order to, to set up a miracle. In order to get the miracle, to get the supply, to get the supernatural into the situation, he's setting up the scene. He's teeing up the ball. And he says, dear, what you need to do is first go and make this for me. What? In her mind, she must have thought, say, who do you think you are? Or she might have thought, what, what are you talking about? Instead, the Holy Spirit already massaged her heart. She was already softened. She said, and she simply did what he told her to do. What? Me give my first fruits to God before I pay my bills? Bring a tithe to the Lord before I can have this or have that, that can't be God. Bring first to me. He represented God. It wasn't his need. He was getting her positioned for a supernatural miracle. Bring it first to me. She did it. She went, and and then he prophesied to her what was going to happen. He said, and this is what the Lord's saying. He said, you're not going to run out of flour. You're not going to run out of oil until the rain comes back. Until the drought's over, you're going to have plenty of oil and plenty of flour. She must have had some level of basic faith to believe what he said. She went and she did it. And it happened just like the Lord said. Can you picture that? She took that little bit of oil, a little bit, just a little bit, quarter of a cup of oil. And she pours that in. She mixes that little bit of flour that she's got, just enough to make a couple of biscuits. And next thing she knows, she looks and that jar of oil still has oil in it. That jar of flour has now got more flour. Why? There is miraculous multiplication going on. She fed him. She fed her son. The next day, she fed him again. The next day, she fed them again. We don't know exactly how long they stayed there, but they stayed there for some time. We don't have time to get to it. There's another part of the story. He actually ends up staying there long enough. Later, her son dies. You can continue it on your own because I won't won't have a a session episode here in our series to deal with it. But but then her son dies, and then he goes and raises her son from the dead. So he, he stayed there for some time. What's all this boot camp about? This is a... Study in God's provision and God's power. So let's wrap up with some of the lessons. And I apologize for going a little bit over today. Number one, God's leading. That's a typo up there. I apologize. God's leading is often surprising. Don't analyze it. Or I should maybe say, don't overanalyze it. We tend to do that, don't we? Because you look at this store and you're like, what is he asking her to do? (laughs) Number two, God's provisions hinge on our obedience. Don't ignore it. 
saying that I learned, I don't even know who to credit it to. But I heard it many, many years ago, and it's true. God will release what's in his hand only when you release what's in your hand. What was God doing? He was activating this principle through the prophet. He basically said, you bring this to me first. He was putting her in a position where she was giving what was in her hand. So that that obedience, that act of faith, precipitated, catalyzed God to sweep in and do something miraculous. If she had said, well, nah, you know, I've got to take care of my boy, she would have missed out. And they would have died. And God would have found another way to take care of Elijah. Only when you release what's in your hand will God release what's in his hand. In Moses, God said, throw down the rod. Only after he let go of what was in his hand did God do something supernatural for him. Only when we let go of what's in us. What is in your hand today that you need to let go of? It might be a talent, a gifting, an ability. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's finances. But learn that. Only when you release what's in your hand will you tap in to the supernatural provision. And finally, number three, God is a God of abundance. Don't fail to thank him. When God does something, he never does it with the mark of mediocrity. When God does something special, he never does it in a minor way. When God is at work, he does it with excellence and abundance. That's who God is. And in this case, it wasn't just one extra biscuit or one extra day, but it was what? He just use it, just kept multiplying, just kept multiplying. More flour, more oil, more flour, more oil. You say, well, what? why is God doing that? Because God's a God of abundance. When Jesus fed the 5,000, guess what? When it was all said and done, what? Twelve baskets of leftovers. Did Jesus miscalculate? No, he wanted to say, everything I do, I do it well. I do it with abundance. You can expect that in your life too. I want to close this morning and ask you, are you in the boot camp? If not, you probably will at some point end up in God's boot camp. Maybe it's similar to the one in Jerith Ravine. Maybe it's more similar to Zarephath. But there's lessons to be learned. Would you please stand? Father, as we stand today, as the prayer teams come forward to minister to special needs and requests here. Lord, I'm just impressed to remind everyone to right now release what's in their hands. Give away what is in us so that we can receive what you have for us. We thank you for the lessons of obedience. We thank you for all of these words of wisdom that you've dropped, downloaded to us today. 
Help us to learn and to grow. Forgive us for complaining when we're in the boot camp. Help us to see the big picture, what you're trying to do and accomplish in our lives to prepare us for that next Mount Carmel experience where you show yourself strong. We worship and we praise you today that you take care of your people. You are a good God. You are a providing God. And I pray for those who are even in this house this morning who are in need. And I ask that that Jehovah Jireh anointing a provision for jobs and contracts and business and new revenue streams and increased salaries and advances and new jobs, whatever it may be, Lord, that you would do it. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. I'm asking our honor to come and just speak a word of blessing and declaring a blessing over you as we leave today. If you have a special prayer need, you have a, a particular area of life that you're struggling with, you need someone to agree with you in prayer. That's what these teams are here for. Maybe Jesus isn't the Lord of your life. You need to be able to say as surely as the Lord, my God, my Lord lives. And if you want to make Jesus your Lord today, you come and they'll pray with you. All right, Ari. Hallelujah. Look, just may the Lord just bless and keep you. May our hearts be open to his guidance and our ears be attentive to his voice. May we walk in obedience and alignment with his provision, his protection. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.